Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath begotten us again with a lively hope by the resurrection from the dead unto an inheritance that cannot be defiled nor pass away until the last day comes. With those words from the Holy Spirit, I began this message on worship with fasting. And I know that that title is a bit provocative to some, and it's unfortunate what the world has done in misusing that biblical term, as you will see before this session is over, God willing. When we think about, when we think about the opportunities of prayer and all that goes with prayer, this then reminds us of the great story of Anna in the temple. Uh, she was married seven years. Evidently, her husband died. And for 80 years, she was in the temple worshiping the Lord day and night with fasting and prayer. And incidentally, she is the first one in all the earth to be able to announce the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with what, what she saw that day. And also, the great noble priest that was there, God told him, you will not die until you see the Christ of God. And on that, on that day, Jewish men and women and their babies came for dedication. And most of the people, all they saw were Jewish families with a baby. But Anna saw the Christ. And she was privileged to do that because she had spirit-filled eyes. When we think about uh, the presence of Jesus, the person of Jesus, I, um, I just, I, I want us to begin, you see, when he was, that, when he was dedicated with that, as, on that day, 30 years later, he emerges, John the Baptist baptizes him, and he begins his ministry after he's been, the, the, the verb in, the, in, in Mark is that he was cast, he was, he was thrown into the wilderness for 40 days of fasting, and there he came to himself in a way, as a man, as a God-man, that he could not have otherwise. And so he begins his ministry. And the verses that we read when they began his service this morning talk about how people began to gather. Son of David, he's here. But at that same time, people began to bring accusations against him. And so we read from Matthew. We read this statement from Matthew where uh, the disciples of John and others are fasting, but your disciples, I know the Pharisees, but your disciples do not fast. And he said, it, what he says here is that it would be an insult to me if my disciples fasted while I'm present with them. But the day will come. The day will come when they will fast. Mark's account is about the same as we read it. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and some people came to him and said, how is it that those people fast, but yours do not? And of course then, uh, your disciples do not. And, and Jesus answered and said that the guests of the bridegroom, they, they cannot fast while he's with them, but the day will come when, he, when, he, when they will fast. Now there's something that's interesting happening here. And, and, and uh, when we read Luke's account, let's go ahead and see that. Here we have these people, come, uh, they, are, come, they are absolutely against what Jesus is doing already because he's not practicing what was done beginning with, with, uh, with uh, Abraham. 
Abraham probably is the first one that fasted in the Old Testament, and then the law of Moses. The law of Moses had for 1,500 years brought a, the issue of fasting, but Jesus will tell us in a few minutes as we get further in this lesson that the fasting my disciples will do when I am gone is something entirely different. Let me pause here for just a moment. When God made, when, when, when life came into existence other than Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, prior to time, he created the angels, and the first chapter of the book of Hebrews 14 tells us that angels are spirit. Angels are spirit sent to minister to you and me who are heirs of salvation. And life, life, not only spirit life that the angels have, but then the other nephesh or life that God created is in the animal world. And through instinct, they come into existence, they, they recreate, and they die. And so there's spirit life, and there's animal life. And everything on this earth, everything on this earth that had its beginning in the realm of time will have an ending. And all of, all of physical life dies. But when God made you and me, he, he, there's that infinite nephesh, which is his own breath. Not only did he give Adam a physical body, but there's a spirit dimension to him. And so when we think of a human being, we are not like angels and we're not like animals. We are something else. There are two parts to your existence. You are physical and you're spiritual. And, and this is where this matter of fasting, as we'll see momentarily, really begins to make itself known. And so let's now think about a word, the word sacrament. I have about five or six dictionaries in my library, and one of them is this thick. And, and Webster defines the word sacrament as a rite, uh, something that ordained by Jesus Christ, mainly baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so when we think of the fact that you are not just physical, you're not just spiritual, let's consider this matter of the sacrament. Incidentally, a few Sundays ago, Ken did such a great job with his message, and one of the things he said, that there are some things of God that are eternal. You don't mess with them. They are set and they are fixed. And when we think of a sacrament, that's one of those things. Now, each of these things that I'm about to talk about have to do with the presence of Jesus. When he was with them earlier, they didn't fast. But he says, when I'm gone, they're going to fast. But now on this matter of a, of a sacrament, when you think of the fact that, um, and a baptism, that was, the, it was on the screen. In baptism, uh, the great servant, uh, uh, Philip, was told by the Holy Spirit to leave a great mission he was in and go down. And along the way, he met a young man that had been in Jerusalem worshiping. He was a, he was a professional uh, for one of the queens of Egypt. And so I don't know how... Uh, I don't know how he got in the, in, in the buggy, uh, in the chariot, but the young man was reading from a, a Hebrew text of, of, of Isaiah. And so Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? And the man said, how can I except somebody teaches me? And the Bible says that with that same passage, Philip preached unto him Jesus. And when they came to a certain water, he said, see, here is water. What does hinder me? from being baptized. 
Well, the point is, both Philip and the nobleman went into the water, and he baptized him, and he came out of the water. He went on his way rejoicing, and Philip was told by the Holy Spirit to go to another place. Now, there's something interesting here when we, when we think of, of that role of water as being a part of baptism. Now, the, obviously, there are other issues involved in your faith, your repentance, confession, but there's something interesting to me because Jesus said to Nicodemus that you have to be born of water and the Spirit. So in the matter of baptism, we have a spiritual issue and we have a physical issue. Born of water and spirit. And this is this, is this sacrament. Let's uh, look at another one. Uh, this, this, this has to do with the Eucharist. The Lord's Supper. Uh, when Jesus ordained that Lord's Supper, he was in a room with them. And, and the elements that he had, the elements that he had were physical. Unleavened bread and the fruit of the grapevine, ampelos. But he said, I'm also a part of this. Just like in baptism, Jesus is a part of it. As that beautiful child was immersed here last weekend, she was immersed in water. That was the physical part. But Jesus Christ was there too. He was involved in this. And in the Lord's Supper that we've just enjoyed, the elements that I have in my hand right here. Uh, this, this is what the Lord ordained, but Jesus Christ was with us in this. Now let me ask you this question. Was the water as important as Jesus in baptism? Why, you'll say no, but it's when God puts something together that's spiritual and physical, he does something with it that cannot be done otherwise. And with these elements in my hand, is this as important as Jesus Christ? When Jesus, when we put this together with him, he makes something out of this that cannot be done otherwise. You're physical and you're spiritual. And in the holy things of God that involve the presence of Jesus, these two things are important. Now let's think about another one, another sacrament. When, and I need to spend a few moments here. Uh, before Jesus left this earth, the Father in heaven knew that he'd been here three years. And the disciples were with him. They saw him when he ate, when he drank, when he cried, when he slept. And to be able to touch him, just think of that. Think of that. What that would mean in, in they heard him, what they heard him say, what they saw him do. But did you know the time when he said, we read it, that's where we started this morning. The time will come when I will be taken from them. There's going to be a time. And the father knew that that had to happen, probably three years after he, in his ministry. And of course, the death, the burial, and the resurrection came. And he was with the disciples uh, 40 days, again, affirming the resurrection. They didn't believe it. It was not until Mary Magdalene came back from the, from the burial site, she had gone there to prepare the final stages of his death. And two men in white apparel said, why, why do you look for the living among the dead? And so she went back and told the apostles who had been hidden out, they were scared. They didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. So to affirm the resurrection of Jesus after it happened, it took 40 days for the ones who were his closest people to get a hold of that, to believe that. Now here's the, here's the issue. What is going to happen when the Father calls the Son to come back to him? Now, there are three reasons for that. Number one, 
is he would take the sacrifice of himself. Death, burial, and resurrection. I am confident that there's not anything the Holy God ever did before time started. And in all of time, that is as significant as the death, burial, and resurrection. And I'm going to tell you, that cross issue is becoming more and more important to me. And there are some things that need to be said about that. But the point I'm making is this. He had to take the sacrifice of, himself, of that sacrifice. And so he took, his, he took his men to the Mount of Olives. And to, again, maybe the same voice, same angels that told Mary, he's already gone. And but the two angels said, as you have seen him go, so shall he come again. Now, in going to heaven, to be with he took the sacrifice of himself within the veil, and this was necessary because he is now, secondly, he is the high priest in heaven. We are priests of God. He is our high priest. It's amazing to me, and I don't know, it was in that first 40 days when Moses was in the mountain, or the second one, but in any case, the Father God told him, I'm showing you something here. He was able to see that holy tabernacle that is in heaven that we will enjoy in that new heaven and that new earth. But he said, Moses, I want you to go down and build a physical, a physical element like what you saw that spiritual. And so Jesus had to go to heaven to take that sacrifice into that, into that holy place and then to be the high priest. And number three, 725 of Hebrews, he ever lives to make intercession for you and me. That third person plural pronoun includes you and me. And so this is why the Father had to go. To, but the Father knew that when I take him away from those people, what are they going to do? It, it was difficult when he was alive with them for them to keep things going. And what is going to take place when I bring him up with me? Well, John the Baptist said, there's one coming after me. I baptize you with water. But he said, there's someone coming after me that will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And in that 40 days before Jesus ascended, <clears throat> he told his disciples, now you wait, you tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you receive the power. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind filled all the house where they were sitting, and cloven tongues fell upon them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit as God had promised. Here is my point. When God prepared the disciples from the time Jesus left them until Jesus comes back again, he had to put something in this world that equaled what Jesus was personally when he was with them. And you're saying, and, and you're saying, you mean there's something else? I mean there's something else, and that is that Holy Spirit. But remember, but remember that a sacrament in baptism included a physical and a spiritual element. That the sacrament that Jesus ordained in the Lord's Supper has the physical element that I hold in my hand, and Jesus Christ is with me. Now, let me ask this. Is what I hold in my hand as important as Jesus? Again, I repeat, I've said it already. It's when God puts those two together, he does something with it that couldn't be done otherwise. And so he brought the Holy Spirit into this world. But I thought if there, if, if there and this has to do with the presence of Jesus in baptism, in the Lord's Supper, and now in our, in our spiritual journey now. Do you know what that 
You say, well, the spiritual part is, is the Holy Spirit. What is the physical part? Jesus Christ said it was fasting. Do you mean to tell me that fasting is as great as the Holy Spirit? No. I'm just saying when God puts the two together, he does something that cannot be done otherwise. And, and, and mercy is a gift. Grace is a gift. Faith is a gift. Prayer is a gift. And fasting is a gift. And what I'm going to show you has very little to do with eating, very little to do with food. But it's the possibility you have to, for in your own heart to move from the physical into the spiritual. And fasting is that physical part of the presence of Jesus in your life now under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. A hundred and ninety-three years ago, Alexander Campbell began this church on this property in this, in this community. And in the, until he died, about the time of the Civil War, he emphasized prayer. He and, and others that were with him, the great names, emphasized prayer and the Holy Spirit. And I have, I have in this book right here, 15 pages, 15 pages of what Alexander Campbell had to say about fasting. But I want to tell you something. I began my college career in 54. Now see, when Jesus, told us, when Jesus gave you a truth, then he, he said he told them this parable, a parable about sowing a new patch on, the old gar- on, 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 a, on an old cloth or new wine. Did you know he was explaining fasting? That's Luke's account. Luke says that. He told him this parable. And, but anyway, until he died in the, in, after the Civil War, Campbell had much to say about it. But the preacher who was in this very church when it started took issue with Campbell, said he was too metaphysical. And in the next 50 years until we get to the, to the end of the century, there, the leaders in the churches of Christ did not believe in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit nor an emphasis on prayer, and much less on fasting. I started my college work in 54, ended it 20 years later, out of seven colleges, seminaries, and universities. I was a Bible major all my life since I was 10 years old. Not one time did any one of those great teachers ever spend one hour on the subject of prayer. And... In fact, um, and particularly as it pertains to subject, to the subject of fasting. Now, fasting then is a gift from God that when it's combined with the Holy Spirit is a spiritual and a physical entity that is so valuable and important. And now we go, let's go to another, to another slide. <clears throat> I've been decades developing that picture decades, and everything is on that page. Everything is there. You are a spirit, that's that upper rule, with a mind that lives in a body. In other words, you have a heart that has a soul that lives in flesh. And so we have a spiritual and a physical 
issue. Now, people all over, I mean, from the one ocean to the other, are my students know about this. In fact, last night, last night, I had a call from a preacher in California. And just a few weeks ago, he had called me about a matter, and he says, now, was that in the middle over the upper oval? In other words, there's something here that has to do with this lesson today. The things that I've said bringing us to this point. And you see, in that upper oval, that is, there, is, there are principles and power and gifts that are there that you cannot know if you remain in that middle oval. That middle oval is the logical, rational, natural faith. And oh, how important that is. When God put that infinite, myth, that infinite nephish in a man, that's his breath. God in your mother's womb left his own breath. And that's his DNA. And that is a capability that when you are saved, Peter said, they believe and baptized shall be saved and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So in your conversion, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. And, but if your life consists of this logical national faith, prayer and faith, you cannot accomplish what otherwise can be there. And so, and so the ability, in fact, that breath in God, uh, that God gave you is your ability to believe. And I believe that the capacity for faith is the greatest single thing God has ever given you. And look how important the natural faith is. Look how important it is. Um, because that's how Ford made his cars. Von Braun and a friend of mine at Huntsville went up in the sky with rockets, with a natural faith. But the 11th chapter of Mark says, have God's faith. Have God's faith. And, and I ask this question, is there a difference in God's faith in you or your faith in God? There are two Greek words. One is phileo, that's a natural love. Look what all we do that's good with that world. But there's also an agape love. I believe that's all God is. I believe that's all he is, just manifested in different ways. And, 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 but, and that's that agape love. And so there are issues and problems as Christians that we have because we're caught up in this, in this lower oval, in this logical, national, rational one when it's only by the Holy Spirit that, that there can be things occurred. And of course, it's in one of, let's see that last, that next chart, if you will, please. Um, in the 11th chapter of Luke, uh, an old judge gets upset with a woman and he finally gives her what she wants. And that's not the way you do God for prayer. But anyway, in that same chapter, he says, Jesus said that God gives good gifts to his children and he gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. It may very well be. If fasting ennobles your asking, and it does, it may very well be you're moved into that upper oval, and as a result, you are able to receive gifts from the Holy Spirit that cannot be had otherwise. You cannot solve more problems with that logical faith. And that's why so many Christians are so unhappy, they don't know what to do, they're upset, they're mad, they're angry, because they have not allowed the Holy Spirit to move them into that upper hill. Now, people, there's so much more to be said about this. Uh, in the 70s, I wrote this book on fasting. Patsy typed it. In the 80s, I wrote this book on fasting. 
Last week, I asked a man in California who is one of the two most knowledgeable men in our fellowship about the restoration movement. And I asked him, I said, do you know where anywhere in, 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 in your history that any one of our preachers has ever written one book on fasting, much less three? And I'm only saying this because you can buy this book from Amazon even at the store next to the new Aldi store here. I don't get a penny out of it. I'm not doing it for that reason. But many people are looking at this, and there are some things in this book, there are some things in this book that have not been said otherwise. To God be the glory. Now, I had some illustrations that I wanted to share with you, but I am, I am faithful up to my... Uh, as I promised, I want to read then, I want to read as we close, as I close this session, and I began it with a prayer, and I'll close it with a prayer. This is from Isaiah, lived, uh, he began his ministry in 749, two years after Josiah died, which would be about 1,700 years ago. And, and in 53, and I want you, as I read this, and this, this whole say, this very point needs another entire session. But listen to this. God says, this is the kind of fasting I have chosen. To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords un, un, uh, of the yoke, and to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke. And if you only knew how much of a yoke you carry in that lower oval, that can only be lifted in that upper one and set the oppressed free, and break every yoke. Is it, not, is it not to share your food with the hungry? This is fasting. Is it not to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, Jesus said in his last sermon, Matthew 25, when you see somebody that needs clothes, his name is Jesus. When you do the things that are in this list, he said the things, their, their name is Jesus. As you see the naked clothing, don't turn away from your own flesh and blood. Be that intercessor that causes the power of God to touch that life that's now living in sin before they die to be his child. Don't turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then, then, your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard you will call upon the Lord and he will say here am I in Jesus name Amen